Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Happiness Journey with Dr. Dan podcast, where every journey is worth living. My name is Dr. Dan, and I'm your host for today's episode. I'm a bilingual neurolinguistic programming and cognitive behavior psychotherapist specializing in anger management issues, both court-appointed and private, marriage counseling using the EFT method, dissociative disorders, narcissistic personality disorders, depression, anxiety, dream analysis, and also provide life business and retirement coaching support. I provide individual one-on-one session in both French or English and also do group settings. If you need any assistance, reach out to DMV Therapy and Coaching Services at 301-325-1550 and our website can be found at lifecoachdenamzalag.com. Today, I'm very excited to have for a fourth episode of season 17, a very special guest and practicing self-care expert coach, Catherine Babcock. And just like every of my past episode, I will leave it up to the guests to properly introduce themselves as no one can do a better job. Catherine, the floor is yours. Well, thank you so much. You know, after going through exactly what you do, we could have used you (laughs) a lot over the years. Um, My name is Catherine Babcock. I'm a single mom who lives in Denver, Colorado. Uh, My kids have all grown up somehow and miraculously become adults at this point. So it is just me and my two dogs um, who live in the house now. I have a five and a half month old puppy and I don't know exactly how I got into that or why I got into that because she is a piece of work. In fact, she's chewing on my fingers as we speak. (laughs) Um, She is cute though. So um, I am, as you said, a self-care expert and I didn't even know what that was until just a couple of years ago. Um, I was, to give you some background, I was disabled um, very young. I was a paramedic and blew my back out. Um, I had Evan, my oldest son, when I was 19, and he came out backwards. Everyone knew that something was wrong when he was born. He didn't want to be picked up, but he didn't want to be put down. He didn't want to eat, but he didn't want to not eat. Um, It was just a very chaotic time. And being a first-time mom, I didn't know what I was doing. Mm -hmm. I was relying on other people to kind of help me navigate what was supposed to be going on. Um, Fast forward a little bit. I had two more kids, and Evan still was a real piece of work. Um, He was diagnosed at three with ADHD and bipolar. Um, He was suspended from school many, many, many times um, as he was growing up. I was trying to, we did a lot of family therapy and individual therapy for the kids. But as time went on, I would try to listen to the therapists and the school system would get mad at me. I would try to listen to the school system and the therapists would tell me that I was doing something wrong. So no matter where I went or who I tried to get information from, it was conflicting with someone else trying to help. And that brought up a lot of social services um, interventions. You know, the, the school would call, I distinctly remember one time, Evan, we were fighting about Evan taking a coat and it snows a lot in Denver. And he didn't want to take a coat to school. He was in elementary school. And the um, therapist said, well, you know, let him suffer natural consequences. You don't take your coat, you're cold at school, you'll take your coat next time. Well, I didn't send him with a coat and the elementary school called social services on me for being a neglectful parent. Oh. So I was caught in between that a lot of, I mean, that happened more times than I could count. And it became very discouraging. I became 
very worn out. I didn't have anyone else. My ex-husband is not in the picture at all. Um, and so I got no child support, no financial help. I was raising three kids on $550 a month, trying to do my best to get everybody to therapies when they needed to be there. I tried to enroll Evan in many different activities, Boy Scouts, soccer, football, and we just couldn't participate because his mental illness was so significant that it just made it too hard. He couldn't get along with the other kids. You know, it was just always an issue. And fast forward a little bit more in high school, um, my daughter, as Evan was in high school, my daughter was diagnosed. She started self-harming and she was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder and ADHD. So I really had my hands full. And when Evan was in high school, he developed a heroin habit and it wasn't a small habit. It was a huge habit. And we, um, my, unfortunately my dad died and my mom decided to move from the little town she was living in back to Denver. And as she would be down at her house, packing things up to move to Denver, Evan would go to her house in Denver and steal things that she'd already brought up. And when she would bring things up to Denver, he would go back to her house in the little city and steal things from that house. And one thing about Evan is he always told on himself. So he told on himself and he told me what was going on. And I told my mom what was going on. And we decided that we would call the police and teach Evan a lesson. And we thought that- Was it a cry for help, Catherine, that he admitted that all he did? I don't know because he still admits to this day what he does. So I don't know. I, I don't know. I think he just wants to be accepted and thinks that that's how he'll be accepted. I think that he thinks that what he does is cool and everyone will think highly of him when no one was thinking highly of him at this point. Okay. And so we got the police involved and they arrested him. Um, he had just turned 18 and we, he got put on probation and he, the problem was he had random drug testing on probation. And so the, he would go and do his random drug test and he kept turning it in dirty. It was dirty for heroin. He couldn't get off the heroin. And finally the judge said, look, one more time and I'm putting you in prison. I'm not playing around with you. And Evan didn't believe what the judge told him. And sure enough, he turned in another dirty drug test and the judge sent a, a warrant for him. And I don't know how many police officers surrounded my car at the time. We were just coming back from McDonald's. I had all three of the kids in the car. Evan's the oldest. So he's got his two younger siblings with us. Okay. And all of these police officers surround my car, guns drawn. We all have our hands up, scared to death. Evan continues eating his cheeseburger like nothing's going on. And we're all petrified except Evan. They take Evan into custody. Um, we went to court and sure enough, the judge did send him to prison and he had to complete his full sentence down in, it was a three-year sentence down in prison. Wow. And so Evan, we spent every Saturday going to see him. We spent every holiday going to see him. I spent thousands of dollars on phone calls and commissary and you name it. And unfortunately, 
inside prison, his drug habit got worse and he started also doing meth. And he told the, the people, whoever he was getting the drugs from, the gang um, in prison, that I would pay for his drugs if they would just advance in the drugs. Well, we started having people drive by my house and wanting their money. They would call me at all hours of the night. And I had no idea what was going on. But once I figured out what was going on, I went straight to the warden of the prison and Evan and his cronies got in trouble for extortion. So they, um, they eventually released Evan and we're still dealing with this extortion case. And I hired an attorney for him. Always the loving mom hires a criminal defense attorney for him. It took every dime of my savings and he's out of prison. He's turned his life around. He met a girl. They got married. They had a baby. Wow. He was in the process of adopting her older son. I, I mean, I truly couldn't have asked for anything more. He was a true joy to be around. He really, he really turned things around and was just a pleasure to be around. Well, the most well, that you never give up on him, Catherine. That's exactly that really was important. He got inspired by the fact that you were so nurturing to him, even though he put you in a very difficult situation. Well, and I'm the only person that didn't give up on him because everyone else gave up on him. Every, I mean, everyone else. And so he's doing really well. But about six months later, we're on, I'm on the phone with them and we're on our way to the courthouse to deal with this um, case. And they call me to let me know that they've broken down. And I'm talking to them about, well, should I send you an Uber or should I come pick you up? Because you cannot miss this court date. And the court was in a different part of the state. Okay. So it took about two and a half hours to get there. And I was almost at the courthouse and they weren't. And as we're talking, the phone shuts off. And I try to call my daughter-in-law back and I try and I try and I can't get an answer. And I call Evan's phone. And some guy answers the phone and says, well, the guy is still unconscious, but the lady is laying in the middle of the highway screaming that her back hurts. And I couldn't oh. put two and two together and was like, what are you talking about? And it turns out that a semi truck had hit them. Evan had pulled his car off to the side of the road when they broke down. He was standing in front of his car looking under the hood and she was standing next to him. And a semi truck came barreling down on the highway at 80 miles an hour and rear ended. And so my son's car ran over him and then a semi truck ran over him and spit him 105 feet out the back of the semi truck. So both of them were airlifted to different hospitals. And that began the nightmare of who is Evan's next of kin because his wife would normally be the next of kin, but she's in another hospital trying to recover from her own injuries. And so I had to file for legal guardianship and conservatorship of Evan. And he broke almost every bone on his body. They did many, many surgeries right after the accident. He spent 19 days in a coma and he had to learn how to re talk and walk and the whole nine yards. And he was very confused when he woke up from his coma. He thought that his brother and sister were his kids. Obviously they're not. Um, it took a long time to get him to reality. It took a long time. 
And I was the only person he spent about three months in the hospital. And I was the only person that was there to take care of him. He was discharged to my house and his wife went home to their house and she wasn't injured nearly as badly as Evan. But we didn't think that Evan was ever going to be to function normally again. He also sustained a traumatic brain injury in the middle of all of this. And what about the kid? So, what about the Evan's yes. kid? Well, thank goodness they weren't with them, but we went and picked them up from daycare the day of the accident. And I called my daughter-in-law's mom and said, I know that you don't see the kids very often. Would you like to see your grandkids? Because she had not been very involved with them at all prior to the accident. And she said, yes. And she was supposed to pick them up for the day and bring them back. She never brought them back. And I had no legal standing to go after them. So about... Eight months after that, uh, she filed paperwork to, um, oh, I can't think of the word, to sever, um, take away the parental rights of Evan and his wife because of the disabilities that they were facing. And there was no way that I was going to let that happen. So that started a two and a half year custody battle to get the kids back and so that Evan could see them again. Yes. So we were eventually court ordered some visitation time, quite a bit of visitation time, actually. And it just had to be supervised by me and which was fine. And so um, the kids were eventually integrated back into my daughter-in-law's house. Unfortunately, this accident led to Evan and his wife divorcing. Um, and so the kids now live with her and Evan sees them several times a week. Evan has actually, we went through about four years of just utter hell. That's the only way I can explain it. He was very angry because of the traumatic brain injury. He didn't want any help, but he needed help. He would disappear. You know, he would run off and I would have to call the police to find him and bring him back home. It was just a nightmare. And in between times, we had all of these appointments for brain specialists and different therapies to teach him how to go back up the stairs and how to figure out puzzles and just different things. But how was he and, able to leave your house or leave your environment if he just was not aware of where he was? I mean, if he had to just kind of like restructure his life, uh, how can he be left alone and not be able to be even operational? That's why I would have to call the police. He, he went through a period period of not even being able to go up the stairs at the house, but we did physical therapy long enough that he was eventually able to go up the stairs. And remember, this is over a four year span. So yeah. he, he got much better towards the like year two and a half or three, but he was still very confused. He would run off and get lost and not know where he was, even though we've lived in the same house for 27 years, he would still get confused and lost. Okay. So he finally, the, the, miracle of the story is he made this miraculous recovery and he was finally able to move out we got him a townhouse of his own about three miles away from my house and he as a matter of fact just started driving very recently which no one ever thought would happen so as all of my kids are finally out of my house I went on a date and the man asked me what I like to do in my spare time and I could tell him for hours what my kids like to do, but he wanted to know what I like to do. Mm -hmm. And I had spent all these years 
taking care of my kids. I had no idea what I liked to do. I had no idea. So that kind of was a light bulb moment for me. And I spent the next few days pondering what I actually like to do. And at the same time, my daughter called because there's always a fire somewhere when you have three kids. It doesn't matter how old they get to be. And so I called my daughter, my daughter called me and she was crying and she had just been laid off um, of her job due to COVID. It was the beginning of the pandemic. So I said, why don't you come over and we'll make some soap. I have all this soap equipment in my kitchen. Come over, we'll make soap. We'll talk about it. We'll figure out what you're going to do. And then I can have my, my kitchen back and get rid of all this soap equipment. And she thought that was a great idea. So she came over and we made soap for days. And we wound up having so much soap and so many body products. We ran out of people to give things to. We gave them to all of our neighbors and family and friends. We still had all of this product left and didn't know what to do with it. And Rebecca said, hey, mom, what if we started a business together? And I thought, oh, my goodness, that would be wonderful. I would love to work with my daughter. And so I said, that would be great. She left to go home and tie up some loose ends. And I got busy working on forming an LLC, getting business cards. I had never even thought about owning a small business before. So I'm researching everything and ordering all this stuff. And she comes back two days later and says, mom, I chickened out. I got a job. And I said, you have got to be kidding me. I just spent all of this money and time opening this business that you wanted to open. So I reached a real crossroads and had to decide, am I going to do this business alone or am I just going to shut it down while I'm ahead and end it? And I decided to go forth with it because it dawned on me at about the same time that I really, I had never practiced self-care as my kids were growing up. And that was a foreign concept to me. And I would have therapists tell me, you know, you need to take some time for yourself. You've got to take some time. And I just never did. It was There were always fires to put out. I was the only person, only adult in the house that could put them out. There was always something going on with the school or going on with the neighbors or going on somewhere. There was always something. And I finally, it finally dawned on me that yes, I should have been practicing self-care and I probably would have been a lot happier as a person and a much better mom and friend and daughter and all of those roles had I practiced self-care. So I decided to go forward with Sergeant Bubbles and it became a real mission to me to get others to practice self-care at the same time, because I know now what a big difference it makes in my life. And I know that I'm not the same person if I don't get to practice self-care. And I'm, I'm not talking about expensive vacations or expensive spa trips, or you don't need to do all that. You know, I, I have learned that a nice bar of soap or a good face mask or a good body scrub can make all the difference in the world and really bring you back to center and allow you to be more giving and more, more thoughtful in your life, more present in your life. And it's a really nice feeling. It's a great way to, to be. And so um, we have a men's line. We have a woman's line, obviously. Um, we sell, we're not your typical spa company. We sell adult novelty naughty fun things too we're, we're a very fun soap company and 
it's really become important to me to connect with my customers and make them happy and provide them with a good service that I know is making a difference in their life. And I really have, have come to enjoy that. And I'm now at a spot in my life where all three of my kids are happy and they're healthy and they're doing what they need to do. Um, they still call me to put out fires uh -huh. all the time, but not nearly like they used to. And I'm really happy running my business and helping others practice self-care. So I'm happier than I've ever been. So how's Evan now? I mean, is he like, uh, is he on his own now? Is he working? Uh, what happened with him? He's not working, but he is on his own. Um, we settled with the insurance company for several million dollars. So he is, we put it in a trust and he is taken care of for the rest of his life. Okay. Um, but he drives himself to all of his own doctor's appointments now. He is able to get to the grocery store and, and get his own food. He has really made a miraculous recovery. Much, I mean, it went from the day that of the accident, they told us to tell him goodbye because they didn't think he would make it through the night. And then it was that he would be a paraplegic. And then it was that he would be a persistent in a persistent vegetative state. So he has really made a miraculous recovery. And I am so proud of the work that he's done. And he, he sees his kids still three times a week at least. And they love having dad around. He's a great father. And it really has kind of come full circle. He now as Compared to when he was growing up, he would take his medicine and flush it down the toilet or throw it in the sink. He was very non-med compliant. Mm -hmm. His medications now, and I think that that really makes a big difference. What about his bipolar disorder? Is he, you know, he's, uh, is he still like dealing with it? Sorry? His bipolar disorder and ADHD. I mean, is he taking medication for that right now? Or how is he managing those symptoms? He is. He takes medication. He also takes some medication for his brain injury. Okay. So he takes a lot of medication, but it's necessary medication. And he knows that if he doesn't take it, he doesn't feel good. Okay. And that's the, the key to things because he didn't like how it made him feel when he was growing up. But he knows now that if he doesn't take it, he's going to be in a world of hurt and he may have to move back in with mom. Absolutely. So what, what would you say, Catherine, to all of our listeners who are caregivers, who takes care of family members who have cancer or other illnesses? How do you, how do you let them know to put time for themselves to be able to recharge their battery? Because obviously uh, being a caregiver, you kind of like lose yourself in your responsibilities and your obligations so how do you detach yourself and know that um, practicing self-care is crucial so you could provide the service to your loved one without really feeling resentment or depression, anxiety, and so on and so forth? Well, I truly believe that you, when you take care of someone else, you do get depressed and resentful and anxious. And it's hard to remember that you're a person who has needs as well. And I believe that everybody has a tank and you have this love tank and you give and give and give to other people or whoever you're taking care of and they zap it all out. They don't do it intentionally. It's not meant as a mean thing, but they zap it all and take it all. And you have to replace what's in that love tank because otherwise when you run on empty is when you get really resentful and angry. 
And I have found that just taking 15 minutes here or 10 minutes there and practicing with a good, you know, using a good bar of soap or putting a nice face mask on and laying down and relaxing for those 10 minutes really fills my love tank back up. And I'm able to give and and do it more joyfully and more from my heart than more out of a feeling of obligation. And that's the problem is when you get stuck feeling like you're obligated to do this, that's when you start getting resentful and angry about things. So yes. if you can, if you can take care of yourself and do it, give from your heart more joyfully and more heartfelt, if that's a word, um, then it makes all the difference in the world. And you're the person that you're taking care of feels better and, and accepts your help more readily because they know it's coming from a good point in your heart. You feel better because you don't feel so taxed and drained and just almost used all all the time and you don't want to get to the point where you feel used up that's a horrible place to be i've been there many many times you almost can't see your way out of it so if you just spend a few minutes taking care of yourself you don't get to that point and it makes all the difference in the world what about what about in a situation where after taking care of your kids and and event for so long and after that they became self-sufficient to a certain extent do you feel a void by any chance that now they don't need you as much as they did before. Is there like a reverse thought process where you felt that before you had a purpose and now they don't need you as much as before? You feel like there's a big void. Absolutely, absolutely. And that was something I had to get over because I went from having Evan at such a young age, I had never lived on my own and done my own thing before. You know, I had him at 19. I had three kids throughout my life. I just turned 50. So my entire life has been caring for others. And just when I thought I had everyone out of the house and everyone was doing good, bam, the accident happens and it all starts over again. Yes. And so when Evan finally moved out on his own, it was a very bittersweet moment because he didn't need me anymore. And I was so used to being needed. It was like, what am I going to? what am I going to do? You know, and I was still over at his house constantly with supervising the kids and making sure that he was okay and doing what he needed to do. But it was very different living on my own. And, and I think that's one reason why I got the puppy. Um, so there's a little more excitement back in my house again, because my other dog just lays in my bed all the time and does nothing. (laughs) Um, but it makes a big difference because I don't have anyone to care for anymore, but you know what? That's made me realize some things about my own life, you know, that I can still find other ways to fill that void, but boy, is it sure nice to not have all these demands on my time and my attention so that I can perform self-care, practice self-care more often. And I've gotten really good at practicing self-care. Now I get really cranky when I don't get to practice it. And Rebecca, my daughter now has started practicing self-care and I'm so proud of her for doing that. She's engaged. Um, she's living with her fiance and I'm so proud of her for taking time to make sure that she takes care of herself because I really wish at 23, I would have picked up those lessons. It would have made my life so much better. I would imagine. So much better. And now what would you recommend to uh, our listeners just to be able, before we conclude this podcast, 
um, in terms of what are some tips that they can utilize immediately to be able to avoid being reactive versus proactive. Because sometimes if you get into a habit of self-care before you become the caregiver to someone, you could adapt new habits, new strategies before you have to really wait till the tank gets empty and then react in a very resentful way. Absolutely. I, I say go in the bathroom and shut and lock the door. That's, I I am all for that. <laughs> you know, shut and lock the door and do not let anyone in and just spend some time, you know, washing your face or take your time to deliberately brush your teeth and just the things, everyday things that everybody always does, but spend some time, you know, really a lot. I didn't ever wear makeup as my kids grew up. I didn't have time, but now it's a luxury to me. And it's another way that I take care of myself is that I have time to put on my makeup in the mornings. Mm -hmm. And I say, go in the bathroom, shut and lock the door. Don't let anybody in and deliberately spend some time caring for yourself, whether it's tweezing your eyebrows or shaving or what, I don't care what it is, just something that will make you feel better. Because when you look good, you feel good. And when you feel good, you look good. Yes. And I just think that that's so important. You can't let yourself slide. You know, you, you just can't. And doing those those small tasks will really add up and make a big difference in your life. That is that is beautiful, Catherine. And on that note, that is all the time that we have for today's podcast. And I really appreciate you taking the time out of your very busy schedule doing SOAP to join us. And thank you again for participating and inspiring our many listeners with your incredible knowledge in the field of self-care. Now, we hope that you've all enjoyed today's episode. And I'm also very excited about the many upcoming guests that we have scheduled for season 17 of the Happiness Journey podcast filled with inspirational stories, just like the one that you listened to today. Now, here are some concluding words of wisdom. The path to happiness begins with self-care, akin to building a strong foundation for a house. Amid life's demand, it's essential to prioritize nurturing your physical, emotional, and mental well-being. Self-care isn't selfish. It's an act of self-love and respect involving setting boundaries and prioritizing your needs. It rejuvenates you, enabling better stress management and resilience, Happiness is also isn't a destination, but more of an ongoing journey with self-care as your guiding compass. So embrace it as much as you can as a lifelong practice to unlock lasting happiness from within. My name is Dr. Dan Amzalag, and you may all keep pursuing your amazing journey in life.